0: All right. I think we're in
1: a good position to uh, record a podcast there, why? I
0: also feel that way.
1: Of the song and not have all the bass ever. Exactly, it's just the bass. <laughs> <laughs> the trouble is just like a distant, tinny sound. Kind of. <laughs> Welcome to Super Duper Stitches, <laughs> a paranormal podcast that really cares about its own theme song. Mm-hmm. It loves
0: it so much. Written by our own Wyatt Shell with. Contributions and further touching and fiddling.
1: I thought about it. I was like, oh, you know, I arranged it. It's like, well, arrangement doesn't really make sense if you're not doing like concert band stuff, I guess. So, I guess I think it would be produced by produced, me, maybe. Oh, uh, I don't
0: even know. We both made it. Let's we say made that. it. Yeah, but the melody is a Wyatt shell original. It came out my brain. It's true. uh I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. He's Jake. It's true. We're back for another week.
1: Yeah, it always feels like it's been a thousand years when we do this (laughs) biweekly. Yeah, (laughs) thousand years since recorded last. (laughs) Because uh, we've been doing bi weekly, it just seems so much further apart. So it's yep. been one episode since you last heard us. It's been nigh on an eternity for us.
0: Indeed, especially with how busy we both are. Oh, my God. But yeah. we're not here to complain about work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can feel myself <laughs> both falling ready. into the vortex. Yeah. Uh, new things happening. So last time we recorded at your apartment, it was in a different town. I it didn't was, realize that the indeed. last time we recorded there was the last time I'd ever set foot there. I know. It's kind of sad. A great many friends
0: were like, What? You're moving? And we did. We moved not that far, as you can tell by Jake still being in the room. Yes. <laughs> we basically moved across town from Newmarket, New Hampshire to Kittery, Maine. So, Is it across
1: town to a different
0: state. I think of the entire uh, greater Portsmouth area as one big town called Seacoast, New Hampshire. Basically, yeah. Which includes
1: parts of Maine. <laughs> exactly. But it's still, yeah, pretty much the same distance from uh, Dover as it was before. So, yeah, not too bad to do that old drive you in fact have a more scenic drive we both do yeah but uh I love you that guys little... are here to listen to us talk about just the general geography of the seacoast this is why you come right? back yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do we even say what the show is the paranormal podcast that talks about spooky stuff and brings a scientific uh approach <laughs> tries oh, to explain God. this is episode 38 We still don't know how to describe the show. It's a show. (laughs) And you're listening to it. Yep. And this week we're talking about what, Mr. Shell? Oh, bugs. Bugs. Spooky bugs. Scary bugs. Spooky-ass
0: bugs. Very loose use of the term bugs, because my topic's actually about water today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now you're doing a water topic. I see how it is. (laughs) (laughs) But it's bugs is water. (laughs) (laughs) Bugs is water. Bugs, we're using the term in general to refer to just creepy crawly things. The biologists listening know that bugs, of course, are only insects of the order Hemiptera. Mm-hmm. Those are the true bugs. Um, true bugs suck.
0: <laughs> it's a joke. Okay. Uh, what? Suck, sucking mouth parts. What are you doing? I'm fanning myself. It's warm in here. Oh, it is very
1: warm. All right. Bugs. bugs. <laughs> so so take, I believe it's my turn to kick yeah, us off. Yeah, kick us off. We've covered a lot of cool creatures on this show over the course of the past 37 episodes. We do, however, have a tendency to stick to more North American stories probably mm-hmm. because it's just what we know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really notice until I stopped to think about it, but in spite of its being the largest land mass in the goddamn world, Asia has somehow been dramatically underrepresented on this show. Oh my. I happen to know in advance that yours is about something that takes place in and around Asia, if I'm not Dude. mistaken. Um, and it's a happy coincidence that mine also does as well. Do we pick um, the same topic? I actually just found yours, and I'm going to read it word for word, and <laughs> you're going to read it as well. You guys can decide, uh, let's yeah. decide which version which you like better. better. But yeah, so we both have stories about uh, critters from Asia today, which mm-hmm. is like anything good on this show, it's just pure dumb luck. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so with that observation out of the way, let's travel to the Gobi Desert. Ooh. I really wish I could do some... Throat singing to like set the mood. So yeah, cool. um, alrighty. Algoy Korkoi is Mongolian for intestine worm. Ooh. that's right. I'm doing a story about gut parasites. Oh, shit, son. Now, the name actually refers not to where the worm lives, but rather to its appearance. Oh, the Algoy Korkoi is a huge red worm, often likened in appearance to the large intestine. And this largeness extends beyond just which intestine it most resembles, Mr. Dale. <laughs> <laughs> worm is freaking huge. Varying reports put it anywhere between one and three meters long, or like, you know, three to six feet. Oh. Um, and oh. it's pretty thick to boot. I mean, for a worm, it's pretty yeah, sad. I was thinking like sandworms from Dune. It's funny you say that. I say, so no, Paul, you little mouse man. You put away your maker hooks. So you won't be riding shy halud in this desert. <laughs> oh my goodness! Some fans
0: out there are gonna be like,
1: Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> <Just ripping laughs> everyone else are off. like,
0: what was that?
1: <laughs> Tearing their shirts fully off. Um, yeah. So Dune reference. On the bright side, you can walk with all the rhythm you want, and you probably won't attract this worm any more than if you just stand around. Oh. That was
0: a Walken tune.
1: Yeah, Christopher Walken wrote that song. No, that was um that was to uh, Fat Fatboy Slim's uh, weapon of weapon choice. Weapon of choice. I was going yeah. it dangerous weapon. Dangerous <laughs> weapon. Um, in which at one point there was a lyric that references um that it was weapon of choice by Fatboy Slim by Christopher <laughs> Walken. Yes. All right, carry. On. Uh, we're not talking about classic sci-fi novels, we're not talking about Tremors, we're talking about oh. an Alaskan bull worm, Ooh. sorry, the uh, Mongolian death worm. <laughs> um, I'll burrow right into this topic. Oh, dig in. I uh, This blog post by cryptozoologist Carl Shuker, entitled, The Mongolian Death Worm, A Shocking Surprise in the Gobi? <laughs> <laughs> no. Quote, it's not every day or every expedition that begins with a request from a country's head of government formally requesting that a specimen be captured of a creature so elusive and deadly that Western science does not even recognize its existence. Well, after an exciting start. Yeah. Nevertheless, that is precisely what happened in 1922 when eminent American paleontologist Professor Roy Chapman Andrews met the Mongolian premier in order to obtain the necessary permits. the american museum of natural history's central asian expedition to search for dinosaur fossils in the gobi desert Hmm. and the creature that the mongolian premier instructed him to procure none other than the lethal algoi karkoi or as it is nowadays commonly referred to throughout the world the mongolian death worm (laughs) although in the 1920s this extraordinary mystery beast was totally unheard of outside mongolia today it is one of the most famous slash infamous of all cryptozoological creatures it's a pretty fun, popular one. It's just like, I'd heard it before. And The name itself is like, what the hell is that? It's true. It's have, so fun. It's true. And the more I learned about it, the more I was like, this is great. I like this. Oh, sweet. Um, so I cannot been, wait to hear. It's been covered in different podcasts and stuff, and now it's being covered in this podcast. So deal with it. Yeah, so its, it's fame um, is thanks to the series of pioneering expeditions to its southern Gobi homeland launched by Czech explorer Ivan Makarlov the first of which took place during June and July 1990 and which subsequently attracted considerable interest internationally. Hmm. During his searches, Ivan collected a very impressive dossier of information concerning the death worm based upon eyewitness reports and other anecdotal evidence which he subsequently made freely available to me to use as I wished in my own writings which can be summarized as follows. Oh shit. He goes on. its local names, Olgoe Korkoi and Alargorhai Horhai, Translate as intestine worm, because according to Eyewitness testimony, this mysterious sausage-shaped creature resembles <laughs> a living intestine. And I'm sure they mean in-testimony. <laughs> yes. Speaking of living intestine, you said you have seen Annihilation, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Red in color with darker blotches, it measures 1 to 1. 1.6 meters long and is as thick as a man's arm, but has no discernible scales, mouth, nor even any eyes or other recognizable sensory organs. So already we can see... Differences in reports on its size, uh, but intriguingly, nothing altogether outlandish. Mm -hmm. Not like some of the giant, fantastical creatures various European explorers have gone in search of in other stories we've covered. Indeed. They're not trying to exaggerate the size to something just totally absurd. It's like, it's just pretty big. For a worm. It's a strangely oversized worm. Yes. It is said to be truncated at both ends, but according to some accounts, at least one end also bears a series of long, pointed structures at its tip. But... Only the tip. Um, merely the tip. Merely the tip. <laughs> As the bad boys say. <laughs> yes. For much of the year the deathworm remains concealed <laughs> beneath the Gobi's sands, but during the two hottest months, June and July, <laughs> here here. It can sometimes be <laughs> <laughs> it can sometimes be no, encountered hot hot. <laughs> hot, hot. <laughs> it can sometimes be encountered lying on the surface, particularly after a downpour of rain. Uh-huh. Locals claim that it Very can also worm-like. be found, yes. You find it like on a random sidewalk in the middle of the desert just like <laughs> then struggling a, to find the a edge. A giant
0: car-sized robin flies out <laughs> it. <eats> it. <laughs> oh
1: my god. <laughs> it's the Mongolian death robin.
0: <laughs> Carry on.
1: Um locals claim that it can also be found in association with the black saxaul, Halos Island Amadendron. A yellow flowered desert shrub whose roots are parasitized by the goyo, uh, Cynomorium sangoricum, or Songoricum. What are you Song-ger- saying? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry I'm so bad. Cynomorium sangoricum, a strange cigar shaped plant of uncertain taxonomic affinities. It's just a weird ass plant that grows in a different <laughs> weird ass plant, and it looks like that. Ooh, kind of look like cordyceps fungus a little bit it kind of does only it's big also kind of looks like a uh termite mount yeah a yeah that's um, a good but it's a plant good riff according once again to local lore the death worm is deadly for two very different reasons i've been <laughs> saying this part because it's the reason everyone's so into this worm uh if <laughs> approached too closely it is said to raise one end of its body upwards and then squirt with unerring accuracy at its victim a stream of extremely poisonous acidic fluid That burns the victim's flesh, turning it yellow, before rapidly inducing death. (laughs) Someone's induced death. (laughs) Yes, this worm does not fuck around. No, indeed. What's the other way? It is claimed that the death worm drives this highly toxic substance externally. I'll get there. Fucking let me get there. What's the other way? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, either from the Soxol's roots or from the Goyo attached to them, thereby reminiscent of how South America's deadly poison arrow frogs derive Uh their skin toxins from certain small arthropods. Sequestration. Yes. During my own researches, says this here British scientist of ours, However, I have uncovered no evidence to suggest that the Soxal's roots are poisonous. Right. And I've revealed that the Goyo is definitely not poisonous. It is eaten as a famine food and used widely in Chinese herbalism. Hmm. But it is not poisonous at all. What if the two are mixed? It becomes the most deadly poison known to man. (laughs) Uh, So if the death worm truly emits a venomous fluid it presumably manufactures it internally rather than deriving it externally mm-hmm. which sure why not i mean it's already a fantastical thing why can't it just make poison seriously and even more shocking in every sense is the death worm's second alleged mode of attack so here's the second kind you i want to hear for. more about the first one <laughs> it's poison it burns you up you turn yellow you dissolve you die <sighs> damn and it never misses apparently yeah <laughs>
0: Even though it's a worm, probably doesn't have eyes.
1: I think they explicitly said that it definitely doesn't it have definitely eyes, definitely doesn't have yeah. eyes,
0: so, you know.
1: Nomadic herders inhabiting the southern Gobi tell of how entire herds of camels have been killed instantly, merely by walking over a patch of sand, concealing a death worm beneath the surface. What? Moreover, one of Ivan Makarlo's local guides recalled how many years earlier, a geologist visiting the Gobi as part of a field trip was killed when he began idly poking some sand one night with an iron rod. He, I mean, he was shot, but... He reminds <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's incredibly illegal to poke the sand with an iron rod in, in Mongolia. Um, as he did so, he abruptly dropped to the ground, dead, for apparently no reason. But when his horrified colleagues rushed up to him, they saw the sand where he had been poking the rod suddenly begin to churn violently, and from it emerged a huge, fat death worm. (laughs) The camels presumably died from coming into direct physical contact with the death worm, but hidden beneath their feet. Mm -hmm. But the geologist only touched it indirectly via the metal rod. Consequently, the only conceivable way that this action could have caused his death is by electrocution. It was in the title. Which would, yes, obviously explain the camels' instant deaths, too. Uh, Shuker is downplaying this particular aspect of the Death Worm's M.O. here. No small number of takes on this thing have outright claimed that it can shoot bolts of electricity, basically. My goodness. It's, yeah, so Deathworm is really an apt description of this thing. Yeah, apparently so. It can shoot poison or bolts of electricity. It can also shoot bullets <laughs> <out> of its <laughs> <Yes>. skin. <laughs> With unerring accuracy. With unerring
0: accuracy, exactly. It spits
1: bullets. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, although there are several different taxonomic groups of fish containing species that can generate electricity, including the famous electric eel and mm-hmm. gymnotids, as well as the electric catfish, electric rays, uh, mormirids, uh, ragged skates, and electric stargazers, which sounds more like just a, like an old Bowie album or something. Yeah, it totally electric does. stargazers. That's um, very true. No known species of terrestrial creature possesses this ability. So if the native claims concerning the camels and the geologists are correct... And always assuming, of course, that it really does exist, the death worm must be a very special animal indeed. But what precisely could it be? Hmm. We'll talk about some real animal science now. Vietnam-y. So, welcome to the Mongolian death worm, Wyatt. It's <laughs> awesome, it's ridiculous, and it is, unlike a lot of such creatures, apparently not just the invention of white people showing up to the scene and like wanting to make crazy stuff. Turns out other folks have imaginations too, I guess. Yeah. So denizens of the Gobi do seem to genuinely fear the creature, at least traditionally. I see. Okay. Um, As younger generations move more and more towards globalized culture and further from traditions, this particular Mm -hmm. bit of folklore has been on the decline. But it was at least there to begin with and for a while. It wasn't something that was invented later on by white people just being like, oh, weird thing. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, like... Things that the locals weren't actually scared of that white people became scared of. Like, wait, that's there? What is it? Like, no, it's not a thing. Like, oh, we're so scared of it. No, well, no, a- yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of it, so it must be real. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, like a lot of folklore, a terrifying monster lurking out in the desert could just be a teaching story or a precautionary tale. Right, right. You know, try and keep people safe when they're going out into some pretty dangerous Which, terrain. Yeah, the desert is
0: itself a kind of oh, monstrous definitely. place to be.
1: Yeah, and the Gobi Desert is a very, very dry, very inhospitable place. I mean, it's a desert, but like compared to other deserts, it's a decidedly uh rough one to be in if you Mm. don't know what you're doing Mm. could be like a lot of other classic monsters out there boogeyman style in order to tease apart what this thing could be let's talk a bit about more of the claims about what it can do right so i'm gonna go ahead and just blow past the venom part since sure lots of animals create venoms and poisons and such it's really hard to kind of tease apart whether or not that's possible i will say
0: too if this thing is presumably eating plants correct
1: Probably, but also apparently killing like large animals and possibly eating them. I don't. It's not always clear if it eats the thing it kills or not. I, mean, I was make just going to say
0: most often venomous creatures, not ones that have passive sort of toxins like frogs, for instance, poison right. arrow frogs. That's more of a defense thing. Where yeah. creatures that actually inject venom, they're either trying to defend or kill, and the reason they'll be very venomous is to kill quickly, not because. They want to be cruel or merciful, but because their prey most often can get the hell away from them, yeah, it's no good killing something if you can't eat it. Which is also why, like conch snails, conch, conch, either way, have one of the most deadly, I think, neurotoxins in the world. Yeah,
1: is if you're
0: a snail, you're not going to catch a fish.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They can lash out with their barb really quickly, right? Exactly as far as actually moving their whole body, they're they. Just
0: take forever. So the fact that that venom acts so quickly, or toxin, I forget, but but, but, neurotoxin, I guess. Whatever. You get the idea. That that would act so quickly is... Bad juice. We'll call it bad juice. Bad juice. (laughs) It makes the bad stuff, you know, it's in proportion to their inability to catch up. So a worm that can navigate the sands do all this and that but is maybe mainly eating plants and sometimes just killing other things by spitting on them
1: doesn't make a lot of sense doesn't
0: sound biological
1: but the only argument for eating plants is the idea that it gets its toxins that way oh so i see so i see it may not do that at all it may just eat animals it may just hunt right. large animal prey and then it dissolve them with its poison and then slurp up the whatever slurp i don't know up through the grit grit yeah. of the sand <laughs> yes it's kind of unclear what its biology is based on the fact that no one's actually captured one before. Right. So I want to instead talk about those goddamn electric shocks. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> so much more fantastical. Mm-hmm. Shuker gave a pretty comprehensive list of animals that can produce an electric current. I'm just going to go with the most powerful and the most well-known, the electric eel. Mm-hmm. In addition to getting itself lyrically featured in a fucking fantastic MGMT song in Ooh, 2007.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about it this whole time, <laughs> yes. actually. I'm like, when should I say this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, The
1: electric eel is impressive for being able to generate a shock of up to 860 volts and one amp, thus 860 watts, Mm -hmm. um, for a duration of two milliseconds. It's bad news for fish, but not so much for humans. It takes about 700 milliamps directly to the heart for at least 30 milliseconds to actually stop it and thus kill an adult.
0: Still an incredibly brief amount of time,
1: but... Very, very brief, but um, uh, yeah. 15 times longer than what right. an, an eel can, can sustain their, their shock for. Uh, so in spite of the strength of the eel shock, which is, yeah, a lot more volts, it just doesn't last long enough to do the necessary damage. Mm-hmm. You won't like it, but it won't kill you. Mm-hmm. So how does the eel do this? Eels and other electric fish have specialized cells called electrocytes, which are in many ways like muscle cells in terms of the, just the general way they kind of act. Um, they generate charge by pumping positively charged sodium and potassium ions out of these specialized cells via protein active transport. Um, so they you know they cost them energy to mm-hmm. do that which makes sense they' mm. it's going to create electric charge kind of charging um, a battery. Actually theres some people argue that it's possible that some like the uh, invention of the battery, came from people observing electric eels no shit it's the idea of the chemical potential energy being created and stuff that's uh, cool yeah possible so to learn more about energy and stuff check out episodes 19 and 20 our <laughs> super duperstitious special report looking into <laughs> new age <laughs> energy phenomena <laughs> <laughs> S- specifically episode 20 we talk about what energy is So, yeah, they actively pump the positively charged ions out of their cells, which then builds up a negative potential within the cell, about 0.15 volts per cell. Uh, The cells Mm. are all stacked together such that they compound their charges. Ooh. And then a special set of nerve cells then controls when the charge is released, typically when the animal locates prey and is within range to sun it. And then all at once, it'll just release all that charge in one big kind of shock wave. Right. In the unlikely event that an eel were to shock you, which it wouldn't really do because it's really more what it does for hunting, not really for a defense thing. Though it does for defense as it well. It can, yeah. It's usually just, it's um not as effective because the things that it's trying, if it's trying to defend itself against something that could hurt it, the shock isn't really powerful enough to do. Too much damage? I see. So if it did do that to you, uh, it would likely not be any fun, but it would not be deadly. Right. Uh, for perspective, a taser peaks at about 50,000 volts. It actually delivers maybe 1,200 volts uh, to the body, and it hits only about 2.1 milliamps. Oh, wow. Again, it takes about 700 milliamps directly applied to the heart. To kill you. Holy shit. So, 2.1 milliamps. Which, yeah, amps and volts are very different things as far as if one is a measure Aren't of speed people, one like, is power. are people, like, tased into comas and shit, though? If you keep it up for long enough, it can do some damage. I mean, think about how much of your I nervous guess that's system is, is electricity, yeah. The so the timing the is...
0: The is, like, zip, and the taser could be just, like,
1: oh, enjoy with, this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, a taser, you think, as being one of the nastiest electrical things that we have out there that doesn't just outright kill you right away. Um, and it's still, yeah, much more powerful than what the eel has going on mm, mm-hmm. so even if we imagine an animal that can generate a charge as powerful as an electric eel which again is the most powerful biological biologically produced right. charge we know of it would have to hold it for 15 times longer than the eel can do in order to kill a human and it would have to apply the shock directly to the heart in order to do so <laughs> so if it's going to be chalking them anywhere it'd have to be even more powerful than that um and for longer probably. Right. Consider also that eels and all other electricity wielding animals have the benefit of living in water. Yes. A powerful exactly. conductor. Uh, As opposed to sand. Sand and air are less powerful conductors. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Especially if it's trying to fire a bolt of <laughs> yes. electricity like the eel. Practically touches the thing it's going to shock.
1: Yeah, and actually, it can concentrate its um like the shock that it gives sometimes by like kind of curling itself up into like a C shape and then oh, like touching cool. the thing with like both ends of its body, kind of a thing. Damn, and create, like the circuit that way. That's um, cool. Which is pretty cool. I didn't see any numbers on what that like does as far as like if that changes the mm. actual amperage. I don't know. I also don't really know much about electrical anything to really speak Fair. on that too much. <laughs> so I don't want to get yeah, too far to no. my depth. I just know. uh Volts, amps, watts. Those hey. Those things. Yes. I, uh, I can't challenge you. <laughs> uh, simply put, the likelihood of any terrestrial animal generating a charge powerful enough to arc across a necessary distance <laughs> to actually kill victims the size of those supposedly mm-hmm. taken down by the Elgoi Korkoi, well, it's pretty damn unlikely. Yeah, I believe it. few different cryptozoologists have suggested that the Mongolian death worm is not a worm at all, but most likely some kind of reptile. If Ooh. it is a real animal. Okay. Uh, they're still sticking to the assumption that it exists, but hey, why not have some fun with it? Yeah, right. Point, I was like, hey, we could still, maybe there's something out there. So folks like our friend Carl Schuker, as well as another British scientist, Richard Freeman, who is zoological mm. chair of the Center for Freudian Research, mm. and I actually heard him on, I think, Monster Talk, and he's, like, he's not some crackpot guy. He really... He is a cryptozoologist in the sense that he wants to find undiscovered species, not that he necessarily right. believes in all, like, ridiculous, crazy stuff. Right. Very um, cool. Very cool. So, the two of them both suggest that it could be some kind of sand boa, or mm. more compelling still, an emphysbenid. Mm. The latter scientist, Richard Freeman, actually led an expedition into the Gobi in 2005, and upon mm-hmm. finding nothing, he decided that the tales of the worm's powers must be apocryphal, and the worm itself is probably a misidentified reptile. That makes more sense. He was assuming people were genuinely seeing things at some point and reporting on those things, not just making up a story out of whole cloth.
0: But they became like the receptacle for all these other crazy features. Yes. Like just making
1: much more just kind of mythological traits and stuff that make them scarier. I like that. He did, however, hold out hope that it was a cryptic reptile. So right there is a good example of the fun that can be found in cryptozoology without going off the everything is monsters deep end. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um... But yeah, I just threw a taxonomic name out there, so I'm gonna go and haven't elaborated on it. So I'm going to do so now. The amphisbenids are the family of worm lizards, mm-hmm. a weird ass limbless lizard known for living mostly in warmer climates. Mm-hmm. So here are some photos. I can of, see them in of, my uh, the mind. The genus emphisbena well. which looks kind of yes. like a wormy snake sort of thing. Kind of, you know, kind of cute in a gross way. Exactly, perfect description of them. They are lizards as opposed to snakes. Um, just based on their you know their actual anatomy, even though they have no limbs, they are not quite the same as snakes. so those are just members of the family. um I think that specifically is the genus um amphisbena mm-hmm. uh, so that's Amphisbenia which looks like a kind of wormy snake thing. uh <laughs> more compelling still is the genus amphisbena whose one-letter difference in spelling and makes for a pretty different-looking creature. Let me see here. Look at that thing. Oh, yeah. That kind of looks like a Mongolian. I death would say worm, that would you be, say? yeah, absolutely. It seems like the kind of thing they're describing. It's it looks freaky. Very freaky, yeah. Yeah. And it's not too small. It's, it's a key in frame for scale, and right. uh, it's it's not nearly as big as they're describing, but it's still nothing to shake a stick at.
0: And uh, definitely the kind of thing that if I was to just suddenly see that, I would be like,
1: what the, the fuck am yeah, I looking at? figure freak you right out. None of those, these are particularly large, like I said, and none are known to live in Asia at all. They're found throughout South America, coastal sub-Saharan Africa, a little bit of Spain, and the Arabian Peninsula. Cool. Notably, their distribution in the latter peninsula, in fact, puts them smack dab in the middle of... What? I don't know. That's right. The Arub-Akhali Desert, home of the ghoul. Oh. Um, So if they can handily survive (laughs) in one of the harshest (laughs) deserts in the world and indeed the largest contiguous sand desert in the world. Then hmm. perhaps they could also live hidden in the Gobi? Hmm. So, back to Carl Schuker's blog post, just Some more quotes. Mm-hmm. There may be another very different reason why these expeditions have returned empty-handed. Some locals claim that deathworms have been seen far less frequently in recent years than in the past. Who knows? Perhaps just as the rest of the world has finally started to learn about and become interested in it, the Mongolian deathworm has begun slipping inexorably into extinction. <laughs> we think about something that lives in a, yeah. an environment like that. It could be susceptible to climate change too. Easily, easily, so yeah. How ironic that would be! Almost as ironic, in fact, as Professor Roy Chapman Andrews's straight-faced promise to the Mongolian Premier back in 1922 that if his expedition did indeed encounter a deathworm during their search for dinosaur fossils in the Gobi they would do their best to secure its capture using a pair of long steel-collecting forceps. Hmm. In view of what reportedly happened to that hapless geologist who poked one of these fearful creatures with a metal rod, (laughs) it's probably just as well that Professor Andrews and his team never did find any. Indeed. So that's how he ends his blog post, and that's how I'm ending my tale today. I enjoyed it very much, Jake. Thank you very much for that. It's very cool. uh, It's a really neat, weird creature that... I do like the idea that some of those guys had about it being some kind of just like cryptic reptile. Yes. that would be cool if it were a real thing. I mean, it could also just as easily be just totally a story.
0: Right. I mean, that's how it strikes me as well. Basically, it could be something that people are seeing, or yeah, just pure fabrication either way it's it's real enough now in some folks minds yeah and uh that's actually almost exactly the same take home that you will get from my side of things today wow it's like
1: again it's like we planned this stuff it is like we we sure shit did not
0: i tell you what well let me begin i think you'd best you best all right so we're gonna play what's that creature for my segment to begin things we haven't played this (laughs) since
1: (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, no start Yes <laughs> When you said the name of the thing I wanted to look at it to make sure I didn't know it mm-hmm. I just saw, so. But I'll go ahead and I'll try and guess based on the clues No, no, no No, I want to try, I want to see if I would No, no, no No, please, please, I want to try I want to I like, hear your clues Just say centipede after every <laughs> single one yeah. of them
0: um, from Southeast Asia.
1: Is it from Vietnam? <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Okay. How
0: much of this did you read? <laughs> just those two things. A picture of a centipede. You saw centipede you v- Vietnam. Vietnam.
1: I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> I don't remember the name at all. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Guess that name. Aquatic.
0: Okay. Many fins. Many fins. See, I would never have guessed centipede. Up to forty-five meters in length or more.
1: Super whale.
0: Lobster-like tail.
1: Uh, less whale.
0: <laughs> Armor-like plates. Um, mechagidra? Yeah. <laughs> and then I wrote, is a giant centipede? <laughs> <laughs> um, today I'm talking about the con rit Con rit, okay. Which is the Vietnamese word for centipede and also the name of a monstrous bug-like sea creature said to stalk the waters of Southeast Asia. Thick. Here's an actual doodle I found on Cryptomundo. Ooh. (laughs) That is definitely a doodle. (laughs) First, the background. Why are there
1: coffee stains on it?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Why is it clearly on a napkin, and why are you handing it to me? (laughs) The Conrad, or at the very least, a lengthy serpentine sea creature with a great many fins, has been sighted for hundreds of years, mainly in the waters of Southeast Asia, but from further abroad as well. Um, And for something that sounds like a giant water bug whale sea monster... (laughs) I was actually surprised at how much coverage this thing has received across the interwebs. For now, though, the following are some edited excerpts from Crypto Mundo. The first modern discussion of these animals took place in the 16th century work, uh, L'histoire entière des poissons, Hmm. by the quote-unquote father of ichthyology, Guillaume Rondelet. Uh, What he called the, quote, cetacean centipede had a multitude of feet, which were the oars with which it propels itself. Hmm. Um, the so-called cetacean, which was frequently seen in the Indies, stated Rondelet, was first described by Alien, which sounds hilarious, but mm-hmm. it's A-E-L-I-A-N. Right.
1: Um, That's Alien, yeah.
0: <laughs> in his On the Nature of Animals, which was I guess you could say published in 200 AD as the quote great sea centipede unquote alien told how this animal sometimes beached and witnesses would describe the lobster like tail and hairs of the large nostrils, which incidentally sounds more like a walrus to me now. (laughs) It's a sea centipede, (laughs) just a walrus. (laughs) So though the legacy of the great sea centipede is centered on the South China Sea, Sightings in other parts of the world give hints of an earlier and more widespread distribution of this type. One detailed record of a sighting was noted by the Illustrated London News. It came in the form of a letter from Edmund J. Wheeler, who was quoting from the logbook of his company's ship, Princess, (laughs) recently Uh, returned from China. Uh, When going around South Africa on July 8, 1856... um, The Cape of Good Hope. The ship's captain saw a, quote, large fish with a head like a walrus and 12 fins, six on each side. We're getting more and more in walrus territory here. Indeed, but six fins on each side, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, A great tail and some 20 to 30 feet in length. It was sprouting something from its mouth. The crew fired on it and felt they had hit it around the head.
1: What's that thing? Kill it? (laughs) Just kill
0: it. Yeah, we'll figure it out later. It's like, (laughs) please, you have to keep me alive. (laughs) Um, years later, Commander Hugh L. Pearson and his Lieutenant W.P. Haynes, both of the HMS Osborne, cited in an official report to the Admiralty that they had seen a sea monster, but not one that was exactly serpent-like, off Cape Vito, near the north coast of Sicily, on May 2, 1877. Remarkably, it displayed a 30-foot-long row of fins, which appeared to stick out from the side of the animal rather than from the back, as many sea serpents of the time are described as featuring. When they drew closer to the creature, its head was, quote, smoothed down its back like a seal.
1: Or perhaps a walrus. Walrus.
0: (laughs) It's a walrus. (laughs) Um, everywhere walrus, <laughs> Just super long and tons of fins But still just a <laughs> walrus I guess. Curl me I guess. Uh, You missed when you shot at me uh, Additional stories would emerge Him
1: one yeah, Every
0: single time Lives like 2,000 years I Just cruises around the world Looking for people to see it
1: <laughs> yeah. Witness me Witness
0: me Additional stories would emerge in the coming years All of a similar piece Returned seamen and ship passengers struggling to describe a lengthy, seemingly armor-plated or smooth-bodied creature with many appendages, orphans, down its sides. Hmm. But most of the sightings of the Great Sea Centipede, as it's called, are tied to Indochina. French doctor Armand Kremf, founder and director of the Oceanographic and Fisheries Service of Indochina, conducted the first efforts in research on the Conrit in the 1920s. He interviewed an eyewitness, a 56-year-old Animite native, Tran Van Khan, who reportedly touched a beached conrit in 1883.
1: Touching is like yeah. know, just a weird description. He's like, I touched the penis. <laughs> it had six on each side,
0: <laughs> smooth like a seal. <laughs> it was a walrus. Uh, the body found without a head was 60 feet long and three feet wide, dark brown above and light yellow below the animal, that's kind of cool indeed uh the animal had regular armored segments which were two feet long and three feet wide along its body so basically its width was the armored segment yeah it had a pair of appendages each two feet four inches long the segments when struck with a stick rang quote like sheet metal huh it smelled so badly apparently that it was towed out to sea krimp formally considered these animals to be real and part of the zoological sphere to be described and collected and then, after the mid nineteen hundreds, people pretty much stopped seeing them.
1: It finally died. <laughs> it
0: finally died. Yeah, the, the one they found. It's... The one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that said, the con writ has lived on as the subject of cryptozoological speculation. Um, Wikipedia even has an entry and refers to it as the uh, many-finned sea serpent. So now for some speculation all right given the long history and consistent details of eyewitness reports cryptozoologists are fairly certain people are or have been seeing something really real out there in the waves Hmm. and accordingly there have been many stabs at theory to describe what this thing could be one of the most widely disseminated and also my least favorite (laughs) is that the Conrit is some kind of armored whale lazarus type species (laughs) cryptozoologist bernard huvelmans theorized that the conorite may be a relic population of ancient armored whales and views the conorite as the source for ancient oriental dragons i don't you know want to throw out the oriental dragons idea if there really right. was some kind of thing like that wriggling around out there yeah but um but is the main word but then, is the yeah. big word yes yeah, so let me read on uh in his book cryptozoology five <laughs> uh writes that this type of sea serpent is strangely provided with many lateral fins and with a segmented jointed armor of bony dermal plaques, which he suggests were common among archaic whales. Thankfully, (laughs) his theory has been called into question, a.k.a. smashed in recent years, as such dermal plaques thought to be associated with whale fossils are more likely, a.k.a. pretty much definitely, um Fucking rocks to have come you. From, <laughs> they're just rocks to have come from other species namely fish yeah so a lot more sense because if yeah. you look
1: at the you know the evolution of whales they come from like a kind of hippo-like creature that mm-hmm. eventually then you have like ambulocetus and the like, dog hippo that, like, really yeah like, get more and more aquatic full-time aquatic and you know coming from a mammal to begin with a land mammal right. to a sea mammal at no point was there armor involved indeed <laughs> do there are any sea armadillos out there no <laughs>
0: That would be kind of cute, though. Um, But fish, on the other hand... Plenty of armor. They're going all out. Um, And prehistoric fish especially were... Oh, yeah. Armored up. Let me Google. Armored fish, big, (laughs) prehistoric. Ah, Dunkleosteus. Sounds like a crazy beer. Definitely has bone involved in the name, too. Indeed. This guy was a bad boy. You'll recognize him the big armored oh, head yeah. make, made the big chomp. Anyway, armored fish, they're real and we're uh, so, but not whales. No. Another theory is that people have seen a whale's backbones or the caudal bones, which are the tail bones mm-hmm. of a very large or fish. Um, I actually oh. kind of like this uh, this one, at least in accounting for some of the beached body sightings. Yeah. orfish get big. Orfish do get big, and they are separately Uh, sort of account for many of the sea serpent sightings. Yeah. They of very your, much match that kind of description. To see one, even knowing that it is a fish, it's still like, what the hell? This is a weird looking thing. And if yeah. you were to just be out there and suddenly see one... I would absolutely be like, holy fuck, that is a monster. (laughs) But yeah, finding a recently deceased whale's partial skeleton on the beach after some hours in the hot sun likely would smell terrible. Um, It would clearly appear organic, possibly armored and without an identifiable head or familiarity with whale anatomy in general could appear to be the body of some strange armored and many-limbed organism perhaps yeah that said I think people know bones when they see them mm. um, even if they don't immediately recognize the organism from which they came
1: yeah whale bones like they're amazing in terms of how their massive size but they still very clearly look like the equivalent of bones you'd expect in, in terrestrial animals exactly
0: too. exactly so further I can't really see any kind of bone ringing like sheet metal um, yeah. when bonked though this could easily it's like be it's the
1: gong when you hit it yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> um though that aspect of it all could easily be some sort of big fishification yeah going on uh there are more theories but i will jump to my favorite that if we take the conrad to be an actual physical creature it is potentially some kind of as yet un arthropod or annelid hmm. uh, possibly from the deep sea mm-hmm. so to kick this off let's say it was a big old centipede what the fuck are centipedes? <laughs> I think it's fair to say that the fact that whatever this may be has been so consistently described as a great sea centipede is kind of a serious salient point. Yeah. Centipedes are highly distinct arthropods. They're elongated and segmented, disgusting bodies. <laughs> are flat and shiny, decorated at each segment with a pair of gross, horrible legs. <laughs> they're the largest terrestrial invertebrate predators in existence today and typically kill their victims by clamping into them with two oversized fang-like venom injecting appendages Mm. which are actually highly modified even grosser legs at the front of their repulsive (laughs) wriggling bodies they freak me out (laughs) Uh, despite their name centipede 100 foot no centipede has 100 legs rather they have between 30 and 354 depending Uh. on the species Um, centipedes are the object of fear for many people around the globe despite not actually posing that much of a lethal threat to adult humans specifically those without allergies Uh, it's sort Mm. of a similar risk I read uh, of anaphylaxis to folks who react poorly to like bee stings as well there
1: you go Um, if you multiply one of these guys by 10 you get the cutest cuddliest version of, uh, of any kind of bug millipedes Milliped yeah, that's so right. Legs wise Yeah.
0: <laughs> Not size-wise. Yeah. I was going to be like, oh, what are you talking <laughs> about?
1: <laughs> yeah, millipedes yeah. are cute. I guess divided by 10, I should say. Divide it by, by, by 10. Divide by 10. Because milli. yeah. Oh, by, there you way. go. I yeah. like it. But yeah, millipedes, very cute. So the difference being that uh, centipedes are carnivorous. Millipedes, I believe, are herbivorous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they're much more docile. <laughs> you just like, hold one into something that's burrowing into your arm.
0: They, oh, <laughs> like, God, that would be...
1: It's like, oh, no, they're not herbivorous at all.
0: The body horror factor. Yeah.
1: Oh, uh, no, uh, they're they're very slow-moving. They're, they're kind of sweet by comparison. They
0: do sometimes extrude uh, toxic chemicals, though, as a defense mechanism. Oh, no. I think. Or at least I know that certain lemurs this can be seen in a nature documentary i forget mm-hmm. which one but they like get high lot of them. on millipedes that's awesome they like bite them and the millipede like releases this chemical as a defense and the lemurs get like drunk do you or, peed like, in the night We're yeah you getting peed <laughs> and that also changes the song millionaire i think or what how's it go i don't know this song yeah got to wait till E-C-E. the frame Hair, in, peed, peed. <laughs> yes. Um, so, that one. Uh, we can cut around this. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, where am I? Centipedes are the object of wee- fear. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut around this. <laughs> yes. You can cut around this, Jake. Um, centipedes are the object of fear for many people around the globe. Already read this. In fact, so recounteth Wikipedia, a 19th century Tibetan poet warned his fellow Buddhists, quote, if you enjoy frightening others, you will be reborn as a centipede. Oh, cute. Amazingly, there is at least one species of aquatic centipede as well. Oh, oh. these are typically terrestrial taxa. So one uh, found as aquatic is kind of cool. Uh, yeah. Scalopendra cataracta. Uh, Scalopendra are larger tropical centipedes. They're typically venomous. Uh, they are some of the nastier-looking kinds. Where house centipedes are kind of creepy and will maybe give
1: you the heebie-jeebies. House centipedes are great; like, they're so creepy-looking. That's true. They have really
0: long legs, but they're—I love them. And so many of them—they're like the—they're like house guards, though. They like keep your house free of grosser bugs. Scolopendra are chunkier and much more look like they're gonna bite your toe off. Yes. So Scolopendra cataracta is the waterfall centipede. It grows to a monstrous 7.9 inches. I hope you're going to say feet. <laughs> 20 centimeters in length. That's um, still huge. It's still big for a typical bug. Uh, George Beccaloni, an entomologist and curator at the Natural History Museum in London apparently found one of these guys on his honeymoon in 2000 his account reads almost like a cryptid entry to me (laughs) describing the centipede as quote pretty horrific looking very big with long legs and a horrible dark greenish black color Um, (laughs) i hated it (laughs) i hated it i had no fun and when scared away by his presence swam like an eel below the water's surface Hmm. um also appropriate to the conrit legend these guys can be found in southeast asia along the banks of waterways in vietnam and thailand Hmm. So, creepy, but still not nearly big enough, and arguably not dwelling in salt water yeah, either.
1: Yeah. This made me think of another freshwater kind of equivalent to this, which is the Helgramite, which mm, is a th- mm-hmm. Dobson fly larva. Which, Those are um, monsters, too. They, it's funny. They look so mean, but they... Yeah, um, that's a good one. Yeah, they... I guess their visual appearance is much scarier than their actual... Um, Demeanor. Yeah they get eaten real fast by everything fish love them <laughs> yeah. the point where actually yeah, they have lures that are designed to look just like a hellgrammite for fish to come and eat <laughs> that's and funny eat, uh, i remember i uh, catching one one time thinking oh this thing is so cool and then putting it in a tank and this is in fifth grade we had a tank that had i think two sunfish not mola mola sunfish, <laughs> like oceanic
0: sunfish. It's just the its bottom part it's of its fin yeah. is in
1: there and it's just sitting up out of the tank. It's a baby wheel, dude. I <laughs> <laughs> think diet. No, uh, sunfish like bluegill, like that kind of sunfish. Oh, um, yes, freshwater. And I think three crayfish. I put the helgamite in there, and then like later that day, I was looking to see where it was and I could not find it and I never found uh. it. And then I realized, like, oh, it must have gotten eaten. Instantly. Because <laughs> I put like some it's uh, water It's like floating down. <laughs> <Just> qu- <laughs> Probably, Probably, actually. Yeah. I mean, the fish... Yeah. So, it didn't send a chance. But the uh water beetles held up for a while. So, eventually, I think I took them out and brought them to a stream again and let them go. Oh, nice. Um,
0: big proper water
1: beetles? Yeah. Not like Goliath diving beetle, but still th- oh, the yeah. good size. Like, you know, a couple cool. inches. Two trees. Um, inches. Yeah. A couple, two tree. But again, this is all yeah. freshwater stuff and not very big. Right. But
0: the look is in the neighborhood for sure Mm -hmm. um so maybe though it was some as yet unknown big old sea arthropod of some other kind Mm -hmm. um arthropods in general include the centipedes are a super huge super old group of organisms that are broadly grouped together for having four key components they are invertebrates so no spine they have an exoskeleton Their bodies are segmented and feature paired jointed appendages. Mm -hmm. Easily recognized, arthropods include all the insects, spiders, and crustaceans you can think of, so pick one. That's Mm -hmm. an arthropod. The largest known arthropods to have ever lived were the Eurypterids, informally known as sea scorpions. Oh yeah uh, Despite their name These beasties Were not true scorpions They simply resembled them In overall profile and shape mm-hmm. um, Most were relatively small But a few grew to be around 10
1: feet Roughly 3.5 meters in length So that's quite a lot of uh, Bug yeah. on one's hands I mean there's a lot of Different cool large Arthropods in the ocean That do look really neat I mean, lobsters get big. There's like the giant isopods in the bottom of the ocean that look like just huge um, pill bugs or roly polies, if you will. Mm. And they're very closely related. They're both isopods.
0: Sea scorpions formally, or as a strict group, are extinct indeed. But they got pretty big and um, they had the segmented bodies, the armored plates. They were marine specialists, basically. So most of them, basically like 98%, I think, of the species known lived in salt water we think however they were not lined with rows and rows of fins or limbs and didn't get quite big enough for what these people were reporting mm-hmm. uh though i guess their head could be loosely sort of kind of described as walrus like
1: <laughs> it's got like kind of a mustache-y, sort of whiskery it, yeah going on. it's
0: whiskery <laughs> um but again uh, it's probably not the case they you went know. extinct a while ago yeah so maybe it was some big old sea annelid. Uh annelids, aka ringed worms or segmented worms are another large taxonomic group with over 22,000 extant species including ragworms, earthworms, deathworms, um <laughs> and leeches. Uh nowhere near the size of the arthropods in number but still creepy and crawly. Uh modern annelids can be found worldwide and are well adapted to oceanic life. Rather than the centipede's legs, annelids use parapodia, or small outgrowths which resemble feet or legs, but aren't technically that kind of appendage. So, um, this helps them lurch and uh, writhe around like the disgusting spot of hell that they are. (laughs) Um, Annelids are one of those groups, uh, much like the centipedes, honestly, that I'm just glad are not way bigger if you've seen prometheus the 2012 polarizing prequel to the alien franchise storyline the worm creature they find uh you know the one that kills the stupid ass biologist because he falls in love with it for some reason (laughs) do you remember this did you see i didn't see it actually well he does that no geez he finds this thing am i spoiling this for you jake you're gonna watch that
1: movie i don't give a shit about that movie
0: (laughs) god damn they they got an alien planet and they go into this like wreckage and everything's looking bad, basically. Uh-huh. You know it's a bad place to be. They find this worm monster thing and it's like about three feet long and looks really freaky and the guy's mm. like, oh, I'm gonna touch it. <laughs> I have to touch it and it instantly kills him. <laughs> of course. Like you do.
1: Uh, what? Oh, what? In all those movies that always happens, real biologists don't act that way. <laughs> on a trip that costs that much, you're like, I'm yeah. gonna send you across the galaxy. Granted, and yutani had just the weirdest business practices ever, but... That's true. This is a different podcast. Yes. So you well and you tonic <laughs> you're whaling, you tiny
0: cast. You're talking whaling, well you're dying to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so anyway, like centipedes, annelid bodies consist of multiple segments, and at least in the polychaetes, feature a pair of the aforementioned parapodia at each segment. So polychaetes are also called bristle worms and are mainly marine saltwater beasties. And you can use them to brush your teeth. I don't get it. Bristle worms. Oh. i don't know it's oh, not there funny, now. <laughs> That's funny. That's not it's not funny good. see yourself out uh most polychaetes only reach around 10 centimeters in length and are quite beautiful these are the guys that like hide in corals and rocks and extrude that like colorful fan like filter appendage yeah and then it, like goes back into the rock and then pops back out so this is how they filter the water to eat bits of food by contrast, Uniceaphroditus, commonly known as the Bobbit Worm or Sand Striker. The Bobbit Worm? Bobbit Worm. Uh, bobbit
1: Worm. The Twisted pullet Worm?
0: <laughs> that is a good way to catch them, I think. <laughs> uh, can reach three meters in length. So that's pretty big. So, it is also a vicious predator. So, not sure if you've seen, have you seen any videos of Bobbit Worms? I have a feeling I'm about to for the first time. You are indeed, in just a moment. They kill stuff. Very well. All right. They're extremely effective at it. Bobbit worms create... Can they
1: exude bullets as well?
0: (laughs) Yes. The bullet worm. Uh, (laughs) And they hunt with electricity and venom. They actually do use venom. So, Bobbit worms create deep burrows in the sand out of which they poke their head and top portion of their body... Their mouthparts are conspicuously defined by a pair of vicious pincer-like jaws.
1: Ooh, is this like the one that was found in someone's, um, they didn't know was in their aquarium for yep, like years? Yep, I have that
0: video. Nice. Which, much like some centipedes, inject their prey with immobilizing slash killing toxin. The jaws also feature a trap mechanism, so they sort of lock open, and once something swims close enough to tickle one of the five sensitive at- antennal appendages, snap, done Damn. so they also just so happen to occur in the waters of southeast asia hey so i'll show you some videos and uh just think about what they've described
1: when seeing these yeah so here's just an annelid Ooh, look at it swimming okay so that looks so much like what you're describing them seeing crazy got right the, yeah the appendages on the side that are kind of fin like it's waggling like an eel the little Oh, that's cool.
0: It's very pretty. I think people would have it reported is. this. So we're, we're watching a video of, and we'll post this too, but it is a worm creature in the water. Uh, someone has dipped their camera down into sort of like a bay by maybe a restaurant or something to capture footage of this worm wriggling along. And it's very brightly colored. It's red with like blue dots down its back and at each segment. It has a little sort of fin, so exactly the same concept as what had been
1: described in the past. It's the classic uh, GoPro on a stick dunk shot. Indeed, uh, Scott Ripley's favorite shot to get. Scott, I know you're not listening, but if you were, shout out to you. Dunk shot, Scott. (laughs) Welcome back. And here is
0: the bobbit worm in the tank, I think you were talking uh, yeah. about.
1: <laughs> I had so, totally forgotten. Actually, people were referring to this when describing the um, Mongolian death worm. Like, like, oh, there are cool, scary worms out there. But yeah, totally different thing. Pretty freaky looking. So they had this aquarium for a while, and they were taking it apart. Like, um, they were removing the fish and stuff, and they were emptying it out and things. And then they found this three meters. Oh, my God. It can grow up to that. This is oh, okay. 1.5 meters. All right, 1.5. 1. 1.5 meters. That's still, still big. Huge
0: if the thing looks monstrous nasty yeah
1: apparently just hiding underneath the bottom like you know rock gravel stuff that you put in the bottom of uh, an aquarium for a while and apparently just eating whatever for years (laughs) and uh they finally found oh this is here oh my god
0: (laughs) pretty gnarly that would be very surprising to find so this is it in its least favorite place to be because it is totally exposed sort of wriggling around looks like it's trying to get out
1: one upside i can say to that particular experience is at least they found it by like emptying the tank and then it was there as opposed to like reaching to the tank at one point suddenly it like just jumps out and tries to bite them or something
0: very true because bobbit worms don't actually have brains i've read really just like i feel like that's wrong though let me let me double check then I also read it, that it does have a brain. I've heard
1: that about a bunch of bugs. Though people like the definition of brain gets really loose. When you still, oh, how many different clusters of nerves have to count to be a brain? Right, right. We'll assume it has three brains until proven otherwise. <laughs> so many brains,
0: but it it certainly isn't using its vision very no. well. It it does use shadows, but it's not like having any kind of fine shape recognition right it's just a pure light dark thing and then the five uh feeler bits are what triggers its bite so that's it sort of wriggling around and then here is some video by the smithsonian of it killing and eating stuff oh
1: boy this is the scarier aspect of it that i don't think I have seen. oh look at that mouth jeez louise yeah it's no joke that does look like it would fuck you up it's like
0: several Rows of biting <laughs> mouth yeah. parts. It's like um, the predator
1: from the movie Predator, times three or so. I don't know. I guess or I guess it had four of those things. This is like an extra set. Oh, this fish is cut in ahead for a bad time. Fish having no fun.
0: Oh, oh, wow! It it misses one, and this is kind of cool to see because like wow.
1: <coughs> so yeah, the the it's mouth so monstrous. parts like they're they're rigid mouth parts, and they quickly close in, but also pull in at the same time they retract oh. all at once. Wow. It's like death scissors for real. Again, fishes. something that
0: I'm glad is not much larger than it is. Yeah,
1: and it's the ocean floor. Boom, fishes toast. Incidentally, the bobbit
0: worm got its name from Lorena Bobbit, hmm. uh, a woman who, in 1992, upon learning of her husband's infidelity, uh, chop off the penis. Oh God, did she? she did indeed
1: they really named it after that
0: they really did the guy who uh (laughs) defined it was like let's call it the bobbit worm that's funny (laughs) she she chopped his penis off and was immortalized as this horrible worm (laughs) Um, so so could it could it be some kind of bobbit worm or annelid that has been abyssal gigantified? Perhaps mm. I don't know. That's a theory I like, but I there's no evidence whatsoever.
1: Right, and then also, why would it be showing up on the surface enough for people to see it multiple times? Precisely what I wrote next. Oh, um, <laughs> word for word. Wow. Oh, almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> why would it swim in the open ocean, particularly during the day? Because bobbit worms are nocturnal, and many deep sea mm. creatures, but not really, have any circadian uh light based trigger maybe yeah I don't know, perhaps bobbit worms for sure are nocturnal and uh particularly why would it swim near the water's surface because a lot of these things were seen from ships so we may just have to wait and see or it was just an orfish <laughs> they're probably an orfish. <laughs> probably an orfish and that's um uh, that's what i got for that's you that's
1: really cool so we got two different worm like crazy creatures both from uh, different parts of the uh, Asian continent. Indeed, mm. 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 and both are, uh, oh, mm. not, mm. not, bugs. Well, not bad bugs. I really wanted to find some kind of like haunting story involving bugs specifically, but it didn't <laughs> Ghost, show bugs. Up. Ghost bugs. Got to go to Japan for that one. Probably, yeah. So bugs there's uh, there's our tale of of land and sea for this week. Surf and turf. <laughs> Worm edition. <laughs> <For> f- oh. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> But yeah, so we thank you guys for joining us again this uh, this week. This episode I had a lot of fun coming back again. It's always nice to get back into it again. Especially Indeed, when it feels like it's so few and far between it's, these it's days. Been years, and we look forward to doing this again. Hopefully, weeks yeah. it won't be quite so humid. So next couple of weeks absolutely, it'll be, it'll be in my apartment, so it will be air conditioned a little Oof, bit. That'll be nice, very slightly at least. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah,
0: thank you guys very much for tuning in as ever. If you have any stories that you'd like told, or have uh, topics that you want covered please reach out at uh, contact at superduperstitious.com. Or if you have your own
1: tales you'd like to share with us yeah. about really anything at all, we'd love to hear them. We really would. But otherwise, you'll be stuck with listening to these two goofs. So <laughs> whatever we decide to talk about, you're going to listen to. Indeed. We'll make you.
0: Thanks very much for joining in. And Thanks uh, a lot. Yeah,
1: we'll see you guys soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. <laughs>